not easy being teethy. <laughs> get t-shirts made with that. Mm. <laughs> merch. That's merch. Not, merch. Not a bad idea. It's not easy being teethy. Hi, Vampire Insiders. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing the 1994 film Interview with the Vampire, starring Tom Cruise as Lestat, Brad Pitt as Louis, Kirsten Dunst as Claudia, and Antonio Banderas as the vampire Armand. The film was directed by Neil Jordan. The movie was distributed by Warner Brothers and was a fantastic success, taking $223 million at the box office, winning both popular and critical acclaim. Joanne, Christina, and I are going to be exploring the themes that we see representing the film, including what it means to be immortal, understanding identity, the concept of consent, and guilt. Thanks for coming to listen to us each week, and if you like us, please share us with a friend and invite us in. Greetings, oh my God. fellow vampires. Okay, hello, Mark. <laughs> Hi, Joanne. Hi, Christina. Hi, Mark. How are you guys? Well, we're outstanding. <laughs> we're good. I'll speak for both of us. Thank but, you. I'm very excited. I've been watching uh, my what my favorite show, Better Call Saul, just came to an end last night, and I am happy to say that there are all kinds of commercials for interview all over AMC now, and they are good. They look good. They're like different snippets even uh, than we seen in the trailer and stuff please provide yeah, they're starting to get a very big push now it's it's really exciting i'm very excited and it looks so so good but we've still got geez a couple of months right it's august so we've got till september october two months to go yeah so we're going to talk about the movie today interview with the vampire and this is the film with as mark said in the introduction tom cruise and brad pitt joanne you are a huge fan of this movie the i won't lie the initial reason i wanted to watch the movie is because i will watch just about anything with Brad Pitt in it. But even back in 94, I had some sort of vampire fascination because of the Lost Boys and the Buffy movie. So I probably would have watched regardless of casting. But for me, the movie really ignited that flame again of wanting to learn more about this genre. And, you know, as far as the movie goes itself, I love it. It's got to be in my top three faves of all time. And that's because I liked watching the journey that they were on, discovering what it meant for Louis to be a vampire, Claudia's character arc of growing into a woman without physically changing and the challenges that, you know, she faced with that. And then, of course, you know, Lestat, because his sadistic nature kind of spoke to me. I bet it um, did. Because you know what? If I was going to be a vampire, Mark, I would probably be just as naughty as Lestat. You're acting like we don't already know that about <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So essentially, the movie follows the same plot as the book. There's a few, I don't know, there are a few minor changes. I don't think that those changes are are super material to the story. Um, and they're not really worth kind of really going into, I don't think. But it, it's essentially the same story. It's, a, it's Louis' autobiography. He's telling his story to a reporter, and it, it follows him through 200 years of his life, during which he navigates a variety of relationships and struggles with understanding himself. So that's the overarching story. If you want to just watch that movie and just see a story about what, you know, a vampire's autobiography, there it is. But if you dig a little bit beneath the surface, it has other stories to tell in, in a similar way that the book does. And I think it's really about identity and figuring out one's true nature. Do you think that saying he navigated relationships is the best way of putting it and are you using navigating in the same way as the captain of the titanic for example <laughs> might have used it yes thank you yes he crashed around quite a lot he did but i mean he was trying and he's you know he he's, was very trying he, at he, times he, he was um and but he's going through he's going through all of these uh, it's it's really an existential crisis, sure. as we talked about with the book. It's very difficult to have immortality thrust upon you. I don't know why everyone is so like up in arms about that. Why would it be so hard to be immortal? I think I could deal with it. Well, so we did actually pose that question on our Twitter. If you had the chance, would you allow yourself to be turned, assuming that you get some kind of input on the decision? Joanne, you're clearly saying, yes, I would like to become a member of The Walking Dead. Yes, ma'am. I would like to go on an all hemoglobin diet. I'm in. I'm, I'm all in. And what appeals to you about that life, unlife, whatever? It's just that the fact that you, you know, you do get to live forever. You get to witness everything that ever happens in history. And 
you can travel to every single corner of the world because you have an infinite amount of time. Yes, you're going to witness a lot of despair and death and destruction and be the cause of it as well. But you sound like you're kind of into that, though. <laughs> I am. I, I, I think the good for me of the living forever and not, not worrying about being sick or, um, you know, silly little human things like a car accident wouldn't matter to me. That outweighs the inevitable watching people you love die and things like that. Don't I wouldn't. First of all, I would feel uncomfortable feeding on people that would bother me or on animals that would bother me. I do. I really would have a hard time doing that. Uh, in the way that now I know I recognize I am not a vegetarian, so I eat meat. I'm, 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 I eat meat, but I don't you don't eat want it to, while they're living. You don't want to sink your teeth no. into their warm flesh and no. have the blood spurt into your mouth. Oh God, no, no, I couldn't do that. That would be very off-putting to me. And if I would accidentally kill somebody, that would be. I would feel terrible. I wouldn't be able to deal with the guilt of that. Also, for me, the attachment to people that I would love in my life and having to constantly see those people die. I, I've, I've grappled with this before because I was a fan of Highlander. Yeah. The movie mm -hmm. and the TV series. The only reason that I would have would like to have immortality would be so that I could see the past. But then that would mean that I would have had to have been born way, way back in the past, which I haven't been. That's right. You didn't get the power of time travel. Right. It's just, just immortality. Immortality. How would you feel about being an emotional vampire? Um, are you suggesting that I am one? Well, no, no, certainly not. Please okay. don't kill me. Okay. Ladies so, and gentlemen, this is why I'm the intimacy coordinator <laughs> of the podcast. Mark, what about you? Do you, would you, I mean, obviously you'd want to be immortal and you would want to rule I'm the not, world. I'm not sure that I'm not. <laughs> Can we find out? Yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, I have no real good reason other than past human history to think that I will expire at some point. <laughs> I feel great. <laughs> I look great. Whatever. I might be immortal. No, really. What do you think? Well, I did. I kind of shared your reluctance to feed on people, mostly because people are kind of icky. Plus your gag reflex. Yeah. I don't know if I could handle like all that blood shooting down my throat and stuff. Mm. That would be a lot. I don't even like cough syrup, you know, so I'm not sure. But look, I would like to have, you know, the superpower part. And for reasons that I will go into later in the podcast, I think that I would actually become acclimated to all the other stuff. So how do you guys think the, the vampires in the movie deal with immortality? Louis is admittedly and thankfully so much less whiny in the movie than he is in the book, but he never really comes to terms with his immortality, does he? We know this because he did the interview and the whole scene with Daniel when he says he wants to you know, Daniel says, I want to be turned. And he says to him, you haven't been paying attention. I, I like to think that at some point, Louis definitely maybe came to terms with it. As far as Claudia goes, she aged mentally and had a hard time with it the more than she did when she first turned. And Louis talks about how they gave into her every whim. So now you have this petulant child with all this vampire strength due to her untimely death. We don't know what her character would have went through had she have lived longer but she definitely severely struggled with the thought of immortality because it was just it wasn't just living forever for her it was living forever in this tiny little you know toddler body well i mean and, you do it yeah. <laughs> you know what mark <laughs> you got me good all right you got me cupcakes all right you burn <laughs> burn um but you know and then what was that out of the three, he clearly enjoys immortality the most. Um, you know, to be fair, he's had the longest experience with it as we're traveling through the book and the movie. So it makes sense to some degree. But I think for him, as wicked and as cold as he is, he just was lonely and wanted a companion. You know, I think overall, I would, if I would have to say Lestat embraces his immortality because he does have that dark side. Louis has said, said many, many times in the film things like I've been born to darkness and I um, am damned to hell. And this life that he's living is a kind of hell for him. And then also his life was hell when he, you know, when he determined that he wanted to die as a, as a mortal because he had right. lost his wife and his child in childbirth. 
he was, you know, he was depressed then, life was hell, then he was born into hell and born into darkness. I agree with you that he doesn't really come to terms with it, except maybe at the very end, you know, when he's talking to the reporter, it's sort of like he's resigned to it. It's not like he's embraced it. And I agree with you 100% that Lestat embraces it. Lestat loves the fact that he's immortal. But for Louis, I think it was a, a real kind of torture because I think what he is was searching for was he couldn't find it in any of the lives that he had, either as a as a mortal or as a as a vampire. Well, first of all, I would say that you could play a game where you take some quotes and you say, is this Louis or a cure fan? <laughs> <laughs> I was born to darkness. Share your word, Tyler. It's really more <laughs> or, a two, or a 2010 emo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I would argue that not a single character in this movie actually comes to terms with their immortality. Not a single one. They all struggle with it. Louis, obviously, and honestly, I would argue he might have done the best of the three. Louis, obviously, is is you know totally verklempt the entire movie and book with, you know, having to kill and struggling against, you know, this darkness inside. Mm -hmm. Um, Clearly, Claudia is struggling with it because she knows that her eternity is as a child. Yeah. In a child's body. Um, Lestat, he handles the, he enjoys the power, but he's struggling to connect with the current age and needed Louis to help him basically not, die of boredom in this new era and obviously armand same problem they're bored right all the vampires in uh the uh the the theater bored Mm -hmm. right they have not they have nothing new in their lives they just do the same thing over and over again and they're bored with their life so louis did them a favor by making them all flambe yeah well Um, Armand actually says exactly that. He says, you will help me connect to this age. Because, of course, Armand is the oldest in his mind. He's the oldest living vampire. Right. Imagine if you were born in 1790 and you're like, all right, here I am 200 some years later. Am I a meme? What is (laughs) a meme? You know, I don't I don't understand what these kids are talking about. Right. You know, no, you wouldn't know because you would go with the times. But they don't. Do you? But they do don't you, go Joanne? with the they do, See, yeah, they don't. And I agree with that because, so for instance. The modern day vampire does. Well, I mean, they'll, they'll get a car, but do they really connect <laughs> with the with the times in the way somebody who grew up in a period did? I would. I would Why is it any different for a vampire than a human? Because first of all, they're, they're by nature going to be remote and removed from humanity. And I think, I would argue that their knowledge of the world came mostly from when they were human. Right. When, once, once they got to be a vampire, now they're just skulking around at night eating. So you nope. think that if there's a vampire living right now from 1790, he doesn't have the internet. He's not listening to this podcast. He, he might, but he doesn't get what it. What the hell it's, am I doing here then? Yeah, in the same way that your grandparents wouldn't get it. Right, 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 right. It's like, we have the AOL. Can we just get things from that? Do I have the internet? Yeah, Nana, you do. Uh, okay, well, I just feel like they... They didn't grow up in any culture other than the one that was 300 years ago. And that's really their foundational knowledge of humanity. And humanity, culture, social mores and everything change. And there's no great way for them to change along with it because they eat everybody they meet. You're not giving them enough credit. They would age with the times. Vampire lover. I'm just saying, if there's a vampire from 1790 listening, I have faith in you. They can learn those things, Joanne, but... Can they ever become completely understanding of those things or comfortable with those things? And I would say no, and here's why. Any normal human in their life cycle, after a certain point, studies have shown that people don't learn to generally, generally, speaking in generalities now, people don't like to learn new music after the age of 36. Yeah, I'm sure Billie Eilish is totally talented, but I'm not seeking out her songs because I still have the whole 80s to listen to. Right, so you get set in your ways and it's hard. And that's why when people get old, and I really think this is this is accurate, when people, as they age, it's, I mean, obviously their bodies fail them, but what also starts to feel really unfamiliar to them is the world around them. And they lose their friends, they lose their connection to the world 
when their friends start to die and their family dies, right? And then, you know, you, you see these older people and in their heads, they've had that life experience. They've been alive for 200 years. Everything they knew that anchored them to their fundamental sort of life experiences are gone. They are gone. Everything that was the life for them, what made sense to them is gone. And it's just, they may learn how to exist, but do they really learn how to live? And Armand, you know, he's meant to be what, like 500 years old? About that. Mm-hmm. And he says, you, Louis, uh, so he was, he was 400 years younger than, than maybe Armand. So then he says, you're my connection. I'll be able to see the world through your eyes. I'll be able to connect to the world through you. And that's what draws him to Louis. Yeah. I mean, a, a vampire would say something like, okay, Let's go on vacation to Byzantium. Well, (laughs) I hate to tell you this, but it's not Byzantium anymore. Right. And all of the things that were familiar to you go away unless you find some little nook in a medieval village. Let's say you were born, you were born in the Middle Ages. And then you go to a, you know, someplace in France where it looks familiar. Vero Beach or something like that. (laughs) I'll give it to you for, for interview with the vampire vampires, but for vampire diaries or twilight or true blood they're modernized you have the you know on vampire diaries you have the original vampires there's no vampire older and they knew how to acclimate they had cell phones they figured things out they weren't like depressed and felt disconnected they just acclimated to this new world that they found themselves in and i would so, argue that, that that's not as an enlightened a take as and well i don't think vampire diaries is as enlightened no that's as, mostly about being hot yeah <laughs> which i know is why you like it i i agree with you that the way that those vampires are written is much more like yeah i was i was born in 1860s and i was in the civil war but now i'm this super hot guy in the 2000s and you know like <laughs> that may be because they daywalk because if you can't daywalk which any self-respecting vampire wouldn't be able to do if you can't interact with people other than you know in the dead of night you really need relationships with humans from that age to be able to connect to that age and you can't really have those if you are spending your nights looking around for people to bite and the rest of the world is asleep. and you have to hide every day in a coffin True blood, they had human helpers during the day the reason that they could connect with the i think better with the modern age is that they decided to come out of the closet right they didn't have to hide the fact that they were vampires i think that you're onto something with the day walking i think that makes sense that if they can day walk they, they might have a better chance of grasping a new world an evolving world i think mark is hitting on a really good point here that humans know that they that they are and they interact with them and they are not, I mean, some of them obviously are afraid of them, but they interact with these vampires, some of them, the ones that are vegetarian vampires or just to right. eat animals, right? Or drink animal blood or however they do it. They're not, um, so they're seen, they're, they're acknowledged and they're seen and they're able to form relationships with people not dead, right? Just not yeah. other vampires. So in the universe that the true blood and, um, to an extent twilight because they let bella know they don't let all humans know but but especially true blood they are aware and buffy they are aware that humans are aware that there are vampires well in buffy some humans are aware well right like the watchers yeah the watchers and the slayers and her pals yeah the scooby gang yeah 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 but i mean it has to be validating then to be seen and be recognized Yes, and you can then have inter- informational and cultural exchanges. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I am the ambassador from Transylvania. Please show me <laughs> your ways. We, you know, it's interesting that we we talk more about like Louis and uh, Claudia and um, Armand, and not as much. I mean, Joanne, you mentioned Lestat and Mark. You essentially agreed pretty much with what she was saying. But Lestat is to me, I agree with Joanne. Lestat kind of embraces it. Well, he, he embraces the killing part, certainly, mm-hmm. right? Loves that. He loves the power. But again, he had to have Louis. He had to make Louis for a reason. Well, he was lonely. Yeah. And I think that he, you know, when he made Louis, he was still a young vampire. Right. Now, what about at the end of the film when Louis finds him and Lestat is freaking out about the lights from the yeah. um, helicopter? Right. Hold on. Did you notice, though, how quickly he adjusted? Right. Yeah. When he, when Once he, he found him in, in New Orleans, he didn't know what a helicopter light was. Well, but when because... he found Daniel, 
he knew how to drive and eject the tape cassette player. Well, the film was running long, so they had to speed things up a little bit. <laughs> no, but you're you're not but, wrong, Joanne. I, you're that's a really good point. He really did zip to it, and then obviously, as we know in the Vampire Lestat and going forward, he I mean, he becomes a rock star in the Vampire Lestat. So well, I guess there, maybe that's his way of culturally connecting, con- connecting, yeah, through the power of rock and roll. Rock and roll, right? So now, so the next thing that I want to talk about, well, the next theme is consent. What does consent look like in this film? Well, first of all, we know what a lack of consent looks like. It looks like lunch, right? <laughs> Every day they're doing things to people against their will. Mm-hmm. No consent whatsoever. There were limited instances of consent being given. Clearly, Lestat sought consent from Louis. Mm-hmm. I would argue he wasn't, you know, a, just a neutral disinterested party. He was pressuring him to do it. Louis was just so you know, overwrought and upset and wanted something different that he acquiesced. When I was going over the timeline for everything and I, and I saw consent, I, I struggled with it. But then I'm like, all right, consent. It's a movie about murder and death it, it, on the surface, right? So there's little to none given in regards to the people they feed on and they kill. But kind of to piggyback off of what Mark said, when they're transitioning they kind of do have a choice. I don't know if it's really would be consent or not, but they do have a choice on whether they want to transition if they want to complete it. So that kind of could be considered consent. Um, Another example that I had was that Madeline consented because she wanted immortality and to be a mother to Claudia. Right. But the way I kind of looked at it was, can you give consent to something that you fully don't understand? So like minor children, can't give consent to sex with an adult because they don't understand what it means physically or emotionally. And neither would someone, if a vampire really tried to turn them. Like I said earlier, it sounds good, looks good on paper, but I don't think you can fully comprehend what it would mean until it's too late. So then are you really even consenting to being turned? If you, even if you say, yeah, I want to complete the transition. With Daniel though, he was informed, right? He got a, he got Louis's entire life story. He still then tried to choose the life, and and Louis was basically like, "Dude, were you? Did you not hear a fucking word I said? You know, this is not. I'm trying to tell you why it's not the way to go, and you are thinking all about just the you know the glamorous parts, which is you know the living forever part and being really fast, mm-hmm. right?" You're not getting it. I'm trying to explain to you why you really don't want to do this. But he was, I mean, look, he had the information. Now, do you truly understand it? Well, I mean, do you ever truly know the consequences of any decision until after you make it? Probably not. But he was as con- he was as informed as any of them could have been. I was going to say, and that was a good point, Joanne, about the, the ages, because, of course, Theater of the Vampire in Paris, they do have humans, right? That consent mm-hmm. to be fed on regularly, but the only one they showed really was an underage boy. But it's a lot of non-consent compared to the amount of consent. I mean, it dwarfs the amount of actual consent. Well, right, because so much of this is about murder, and they none of them really, none of them really just feed. They actually kill. Right. Yeah. So they're killing. There could be some that, as you, as we saw with the the young boy at the uh, at the theater, and um, of course with Claudia, this gets into a, a really difficult area for me because if you look at what they did to her, first of all, if you look at vampirism as a metaphor for sex. Which, I mean... That's a very uncomfortable analogy to make. Right, right. She's a child, and they turn her, you know, they feed on her as a child, which is, you know, that's troubling. And then they turn her to a vampire. She can't give that consent. She doesn't know. And she's just impulsive like a child. Now, again, too, when... When Lestat is supposedly giving Louis the chance or the choice, what he does is he drains him half to death. And that's got to be scary. And you're if he is, you know, if you take it from a real human perspective, you have a a strong sense of self-preservation. Humans have huge, hugely strong sense of self-preservation. We will do almost anything to try and stay alive. He bleeds 
Louis to almost to the point of death, and he says to him, "You're almost. This is it. I've, yeah. You're to the point of death. Do you want a little to? bit of coercion? Is there what you're is saying. coercion there, and yeah. certainly with Claudia, it's just full out oh, they, molestation. N- n- yeah, and then, um, but with Madeline, she does seem to want it. To your point, does she really know what she she's didn't getting? Seem that sharp to me, right? And and that's that's why I cha- I kind of changed my mind as I was thinking about it. I was like, yeah, they're consenting because they're agreeing to transitioning, and then I was like, but well, wait. How do you give consent to something you have? Someone could explain it to you a hundred times, Mark. And I understand your point about Daniel listening to Louis' story. It's still not. It's. I just don't think anyone can just hear that and go, "Okay, I'm going to be okay with being a right. machine." Got so like I. I have a. I don't think there is ever really true consent. Can I ask you guys a question? Uh-huh. Yes. Because you guys both said that you didn't want to turn because you would have a real problem killing somebody what if you were this really super moral vampire that killed bad people ah so that's the dexter conundrum yes that's the dexter and that vigilante vampire (laughs) vigilante vampire right Um, let's make a movie let's do it vigilante vampire (laughs) um you know i i I think that that it is i i was drawing the the comparison to dexter and i think it is a little bit it would be a little bit like that right like you're an avenging angel instead of just mm-hmm. this cold-blooded killer right but still still for me the actual act of it having to get that close to some grosso and suck their blood that to me would be <laughs> like that would be off-putting to me yeah. now i understand that once i would have been turned it wouldn't seem off-putting to me i was gonna say because like to a vegan may god rest their souls <laughs> a cheeseburger is off-putting right right but if you get to the point where you're like really hungry and you decide maybe being a vegan isn't your life all of a sudden that cheeseburger looks okay now. Yeah. You know, and it's you, pretty darn good. You know, well, mm-hmm. Trust me, it is. I just polished off a Big Mac before the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, you know, so I think that your, your appetites would, and he, this is the thing I was talking, one of the things I was talking about that I was going to talk about later is I think your appetites and your, your, your physical superiority and your power will gradually corrupt you to the point where you're okay being a vampire. I mean, that much power would make an asshole out of almost anybody. You don't, I mean, now, instead of demanding to see the manager, you just break their neck, you know? <laughs> the manager. And I think you see that in a lot of the characters and the only one who's really fighting it off with any degree of success and not even close to completely is Louis. Yeah. Right? And he, he's very annoying about it, but I, I think that eventually, just your your needs and your appetites end up corrupting you pretty completely. Yeah, I think that it takes over and then you're then he's fighting against his nature, right? At first he's fighting he at first he's sad and morose because he doesn't want to live and he's missing his his wife and his dead child. And then he's born into darkness and then he's struggling all the time with the idea that he's, you know, losing his humanity. Louis is racked with guilt at all times. Of course. At all times. And I don't think he ever gets About over everything. I don't think he ever gets over the guilt. If he's he's guilty that he's a vampire and then he's he's become what he has and he's got to kill people. Then he's guilty because he thinks he killed Lestat. Then he's you know I mean he's, he's guilty because what he's, they he's did gui- to Claudia. Claudia. He's then he's con- guilty because he has to leave Armand. Yeah. Oh, he's so annoying. To be fair, a little bit to Louis, he's the most morally praiseworthy vampire in the show. Maybe. In the Probably why I dislike him the Who's most. Better? Maybe because is he really? Is this all about morality? I, I don't know that it's about morality. I think it's just about being unable to be authentic. An authentic murderer? No, an authentic. I mean, yes, if that is your nature, and that no, is what's, what what Lestat we, spends so much time trying to say to him: don't fight this, don't be guilty about this. This is your nature. This is who you are. That is a very interesting ethical system that I completely and totally reject. You, if your nature is to be a murderer, you still ought not give in to that. Mark, but he's a vampire. That well, is his nature. It is his nature. It is his nature right. to it's, be that. It's human's nature to beat the shit out of their neighbor with a rock. It no, it's not. Do no, it. it's not. Oh, That's my God. Not. Yes, it is. That's not everybody's Remove nature. society and see how many rocks you get. Hit All right, but do vampires live within... Joanne, do you think vampires live within the structures of society? No, not human society. No, I'm sure they have like vampire code that they live within in the vampire world. There's one law. 
you can't kill your own. That's the right, one rule. Right. And then Louis killing the vampires, uh, that, then they're just one more thing to feel guilty about. Oh, and, yeah. and guilty because Claudia gets killed. And guilty just, you know, guilty because she gets made a vampire. Guilty because he turns Madeline. Guilty because Claudia then gets killed. And then on the other side of the coin, Lestat. Zero guilt. There's like no guilt in him at all. And no empathy, obviously. Yeah. Well, and I think that's just a bit of a reflection of who he was as a person and was frozen. You know, you're frozen as that person. That's, you know, part of being a vampire, right? So if he was a dick when he was alive, and you might know he's that. He's going to be a dick as a vampire. Yeah, he's going to be, a, you're going to be a dick vampire. I mean, not like a dick vampire, you know what I mean? Like, he's, <laughs> he's a vampire who is a dick. I'm well, not saying, but, you know, anything about his choice of targets. No, no, right. But, I mean, honestly, and and I guess that this is one of the things that goes to identity and to what a lot of people have looked at Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles generally as, which is an, um, an allegory for identity, sexual identity, and mm -hmm. coming to terms with one's sexual identity. And she's said things like, I, not that she's gay, but that she really empathizes and understands. She's just really gender fluid. She doesn't really yeah. recognize the binary. So she, and she explores this topic homosexuality and pansexuality really within multiple of her multiple of her books the vampire chronicles for one of them but then also all of her her sleeping beauty erotica yeah that is replete with pairings of all kind do you think the characters use guilt as a means of manipulation i think the prime example of it is claudia okay when she gets louis to turn madeline and it's his guilt of what she has become and his role in making her that way that he ultimately gives in. Like he said during her inter his interview, they gave in to all of her whims, right? Which don't most parents spoil and give in because of guilt? I'm sure there's, I'm not a mom, so I don't know, but I'm sure there's other reasons. But like, I kind of looked at it as like a divorce where, you know, the parents tend to spoil their kids a little bit more and things like that. And I think that's out of the guilt of breaking up the home. And I think that Claudia, even though, child's body she had that adult mind and she knew she could play on louis's guilt of making her the way that she was by getting everything that she wanted simply by demanding it because it's how it's always been for me she's the most manipulative of the three i think that was is pretty easy to point that out uh, she does try to guilt lestat but you're you're saying about being a parent guilt mm -hmm. does work in parenting you know it also also works being tired and sure, I would is really just kind of like, oh, you're such a pain in the ass. You know, <laughs> I get, yeah, fine. I'll make you a, you know, make you a mom or whatever. Well, you have to be able to feel guilt to be have to have guilt used against you. It right. would the guilt would work on Louis, and it did. We saw it, Joanne. You made an excellent example of that. But Lestat doesn't feel guilt. He doesn't. He doesn't feel guilty about any of it. He just sees her as this annoying thing. That Mark and I think that you're correct. So in the case of of Lestat, he's not easily manipulated. If you're trying to manipulate him based on guilt, but if you try to manipulate him by threatening his relationship with Louis, that works. So he's jealous. His yes. jeal he's Jealousy a jealous person. Jealousy is a much better lever to use against Lestat. You know, if, if Claudia says, hey, you know, I got you this gift, and he's like, oh, okay, now I'm getting some fucking attention finally, right? Mm -hmm. About damn time, I start getting some gifts. Oh, no, it's got laudanum, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm not saying she didn't try to guilt him and that Louis didn't also try to guilt him. But like Christina said, he's pretty impervious. I don't know if he's 100% impervious to that, but he's pretty impervious to that. Um, but Louis, I mean, Jesus, that's, you know, that's that's the key to the castle right there. All you have to do is make him feel guilty and he'll do whatever Little puppy want. dog eyes and yeah. do what you want. For sure, Claudia absolutely manipulated him when it came to Madeline because she said, and he and had- When it came to murdering Lestat. And murdering Lestat. Mm -hmm. And it's because- his guilt there, I think, was warranted. Don't you? Oh, sure. Who's the most manipulative of the vampires? Claudia? That's who I would choose. Yeah, she's very manipulative, although Lestat is right up there. Lestat has manipulated Louis into this life. Then he brought in an entirely new transgressive vampire to keep him around. Mm -hmm. Keeps manipulating them, not with guilt necessarily, although some of that, but also with 
promises of future knowledge. For, for Of knowledge. That's the other thing, too. It's not just guilt, obviously, that Lestat yeah. uses as a weapon. It's the fact that he, for a long time, has them thinking that he has special knowledge that they themselves do not. Right. Armand, when Louis says, well, now I can maybe learn something, and he kind of goes, there's nothing real. I can't. I mean, there's I, no, I don't know. There's yeah, no there's secrets no, no here. No real I secret. You know, this we is drink it. blood. We try not to get sunburn. You know, that's it. That's what we do. <laughs> I have to push back a little bit, Mark, about Lestat being more manipulative than Claudia because Claudia outsmarted him. She manipulated him. She got him to drink she did. from those those boys and ultimately did try to kill him. She thought she was successful, but that's why I, I have to give it to her. She outsmarted him. So really, is he more manipulative than her when he was able to be played like that? Manipulative people can be manipulated. If you came down on that side of the argument, I wouldn't call you names and throw rocks at you or anything because mm -hmm. I think that she's, you know, she's very manipulative, no doubt. I mean, in that very okay. childlike way, right? Uh, you're just, you're not taking care of me the right way. You made me as I am. Not in a jealous lover sort of way, although she did that some too, but mostly, you know, petulant manipulation. But is, is Louis manipulative at all? He doesn't allow himself to be manipulative because he can't get past his own. Yeah, he's too busy wringing ridiculousness. his hands. Well, see, yeah. now here's where I would say that in his guilt, in that constant whining, whining, that grating, can you imagine that to me, that is manipulative. Can you imagine spending eternity with that? No, right. And, and I think that there might be something where in some ways, I don't know if it's manipulative or if it's just fucking annoying that he, <laughs> he does wear on whoever he's around. Why not both? Um, and so, you know how there are people who are, I mean, <laughs> who are like perpetually in victimhood. Of course. And that's manipulation. And that's a manipulation. And I think that, you know, and, and there are times where, where Lestat will just say, my God, Louis, just whatever, do what, you know, there's that part. Snap out of it, you little bitch. Embrace this. Embrace who you, embrace who you are. But he also says things like, Louis, oh, whatever, just eat what you'll ever you'll eat. But because yeah. he tries to get him, remember, he tries to get him to kill oh, yeah, the yeah, elite the, woman, the poodle woman, the poodle woman. And instead yeah. he kills the poodles. And then Lestat just kind of laughs and he goes, oh, for God's sake, you know, Louis, just go and go eat squirrels. Eat, if you eat want. what you want to. Yeah. But, you know, just come with me to New Orleans. And here's a way Louis may have manipulated. Why do I keep wanting to say manipulated, manipulated? You want to sound like you just want to say nipple. Yeah, well, nipple, nipple, nipple. All right. There you go. So I but it's it's honestly really in the book more than the movie but his money because Lestat one needs and wants his money but he did use his money as a way to control Lestat here's a question and I don't know the answer to this oh, and it, so so let's see if you guys have thoughts on this is guilt something that moves the plot forward the narrative forward is is does interview with a vampire happen if there is no if there is no guilt if Louis is not so racked by guilt I think his guilt is really central to the story because if this is an allegory for his him questioning for someone who's questioning their sexuality then that guilt is foundational to understanding the, that struggle or at least what Anne Rice assumes what that's what that is central to that coming to terms with who one is like their identity you can't have a good complex story without conflict without guilt and Louis struggles it's just a horror film. Mm -hmm. It's just Friday the 13th. And there's no point in doing it from the vampire's point of view because you're just going to see an endless string of killings where humanity has no chance against them, right? Because they're overmatched. And it's just, you know, just a string of murders. Mm -hmm. That's not interesting. And her whole thing was, regardless of the allegorical content or, you know, what she wanted it to symbolize, her whole thing is, here's what it's like to be a vampire. It's not that easy. It's a hard knock life. It is. It's not easy <laughs> being TV. <laughs> but I really think that that is the central conflict upon which this story turns. First of all, if there's no guilt and no struggle, no Claudia. The Lestat and Louis show eating their way through New Orleans. Maybe, it would be a very different story. Maybe move into the panhandle of Florida, <laughs> eat some Alabamans. I don't know. But I mean, they're just eating at that point. Okay, so we've been talking, we've been touching on it a little bit. Um is the question of identity. So both the film and the novel have been held up as examples, as I've mentioned, for as al uh, of allegories for exploring and embracing sexual identity. So in the case of Louis, the connection between being a vampire and being gay or bisexual is quite clear. 
Like it's very, right. very clear that that is what it's meant to be when you read the book and when you, it's just very clear that this is vampirism. It's number one, sexual. And number two, right. Louis struggles with owning that sexuality. And um, then also, you know, gay audiences have really found resonance in this story as sure. well. So do you feel like Louis is ever really able to come to terms with who he is in the film? No. Uh, his whole thing with Daniel is a cautionary tale. But if you remember in, uh, I'm trying to remember if it's in, if it's only in the book or if it's in the movie as well, where he basically says, all right, look, I just gave up on the squirrel thing and I feed on people mm -hmm. and I've killed so many people and he's more okay with it now, but he's trying to explain to Daniel, not only tell his story, but also say, this is not the way to go. This is not some, paradise you know some ideal existence it sucks mm -hmm. and daniel of course all he hears is superpowers i will take superpowers sir i looked at it a little more surface level than mark did but i think he did come to terms with it i think that it took him a really long time to get through his depression or whatever he wanted to call it his existential crisis whininess but during the interview right he's composed one could say maybe he's still whining, but he's retelling his story. So I think maybe it was cathartic for him to finally be able to do that. And, and he chose this moment in time to do it. And I think it's because he's finally accepting of who he is. I, I think that's why he, the whole interview happens is because he's finally OK with it. And if you yes. say different, we're fighting. No, no. I, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Calm down, Joanne. Jesus. Um, definitely the tension is and it is always down to your nature. That's in the book and in the film. This is your nature. Um, Lestat says, I'll watch you come around. I know you'll come around eventually. Right. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'll watch you eat your animals until you eventually come around. Well, Lestat's correct. He does eventually come around. Be who you are. Like, this is your nature. All of that. Um, and then he's and then Lestat says also to him, you resist the one thing that can bring you peace. Now, Mark, your point about Daniel is at the end, Louis is saying, you know, you've not listened to me. Yeah, you don't and, want this. But Daniel says to him, you don't understand what you've got here. You don't right. understand this. And, and, and Daniel, maybe you one could look at Daniel as another version, another Lestat who goes, this is who you are. Embrace who yeah. you are. You terrible, know, terrible philosophy, terrible advice. I, you know what, because you're looking at it as the killing thing. And I, I am looking at it as the allegory for sexuality. And I don't think it's terrible advice. I think that what Daniel says to him is you will find that your power resides in being who you are and being authentic. Now you're saying, well, he's a killer. Well, yes, but the allegorical, okay no, part. but the allegory, well, I mean, he is who he is and, and he doesn't live within, like Joanne said, when I asked the question, do they live within a human construct? Yeah. I don't think that, you know, like, I don't think that they do. They, they exist in a world where they are apex predators. That would be like telling a lion or a shark not to kill a, a human if a human gets into the water. Look, I, and I don't think my problem is I don't think it's a perfect analogy right now. I do understand the whole vampirism causes you to you know need to stay hidden and in the closet, as it were. And certainly we would not ask that of someone's sexual orientation or anything like that. Right. I would never argue that, you know, being gay is something that you should fight against, mm -hmm. right? If that is your nature. But I'm also uncomfortable with the argument of just saying it's your nature. Just go with it. Right. Because some people's nature sucks. And we ask of humans and, you know, people, let's say, that they rise above their instincts and control their passions somewhat. Right. You can't just be a roaming id and. You know, you're not going to, I mean, you're just going to ruin people's lives or end them. You're, 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 you're trying to say that vampires are human. They're not human. But right. they're people. They're, well, but they see, the is, they're not people anymore. And I think that that's also the oh, thing. Oh, I think that's false. I think they're definitely people. They're not human people. No, they're just in a human form. But they're, what they're, are, they're I mean, not, if they're not people, what are they? Are they animals? They've lost their humanity. Yeah, they're yeah, a they're, sort of animal. They're no. predators. Yeah, yeah, they are. Well, we're predators. I know, but they're, they're top 
top of the line. They are not human anymore. And that's also the struggle because Louis tries very, very hard to maintain his humanity. And then he says, I, I lost every shot of it. The last of it went with her gold, golden right. hair. So I'm going to lay out my whole philosophy for you right here oh, good. on vampires. Excellent. Joanne, so gird your loins. If the, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. If you go back to very close to the origin story, Bram Stoker's Dracula, mm -hmm. when a vampire was turned, they became an evil apex predator monster right like the remnants you, yeah, or revenants yeah you did they weren't unthinking but yes they 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 had no human morality all mm -hmm. they cared about was eating a, a wife could get turned and then eat her husband that is not how Anne rice tackled it when they get turned they still remember their life mm -hmm. they still have moral and ethical abilities right they can reason mm -hmm. And Louis, that's what Louis is struggling with. So I think you have to say they are people. They're not people like we're people, but they are people they're in the not. sense that they can make choices. Yes, they can make choices, Christina. Why are you saying they're, they're that? animals that just happen? They're, oh, that's false. Otherwise, Louis would be the exact same as Lestat. A lion is a lion. But that's not true. That's true. That's they fair. have true. love. Fair. Fair. That's they have true. Relationships. You're right. You're right. They, he feels parentally towards Claudia. So you can't argue that they're just eating machines no no but they're also not human and they're not and and he struggles with that because i think he wants to maintain so if you even if you take the sexuality out of it right like take right. it take take say that it's not an allegory for sexuality which it is well i i think it can be it's just not a perfect allegory all right, right? but let's say that take that out of it and let's say the struggle is to keep to maintain humanity or to let humanity go which is is this argument here do right. they are they human or are they just now killing machines that look human there's no question that they're that they're not just un killing machines because louis struggles with that for 200 L years louis does but lestat does not that's just ha that's a reflection of his morality when he entered the game oh okay joanne that's kind of an interesting thought the, the morality that you die with is the morality that at least you, that you start with no i think that it's what you start with because i will also argue that Anne rice makes it very clear that the power that they're given has a corrupting influence because it made a sweet innocent child like claudia a vicious killer and it louis kind of moral qualms kind of soften as the years go on right mm -hmm. and then the vampires in uh, the theater are really kind of the end game they're completely bereft of morality mm -hmm. for the most part they're bored they see humans as nothing but cattle they don't really have relationships with each others other than they just know that they're not allowed to kill each other and they just hang out and eat together you know there's definitely a corrupting influence to all that power, power if you're grass. all of a sudden a superhuman then yeah you're not going to feel particularly constrained by societal rules so i would argue that they're still people in the sense that they have the ability to reason morally unlike like a dog right i don't literally mean like a dog no, I know, or a cat I know. Just, they're, they're just less human. different creatures right Right. And I think you're on to something when you said the thing about you kind of when you die or, or, you know, when you become a vampire, you keep the qualities of what you had when you were a human in vampire diaries. That's one of the big things is when a vampire is turned, their characteristics of it, that they were as a human is amplified. So, for example, Caroline Forbes is like controlling and bossy and neurotic and OCD. And as a vampire, she is that like on steroids yeah she calms down throughout the series but the beginning yeah she, she's just really high strung vampire and a control freak which actually helps her character's arc because she is able to control the bloodlust and things like that but i'm digressing here but I, I agree with you that you could definitely say that the traits from human life kind of transition into your vampire self one of the things that got glossed over was the happy time so Louis doesn't really go into detail about the 60 or so years where he and Claudia and Lestat, he just says, well, we spoiled her, yeah. but we, he doesn't talk about what probably were the happy times. Yeah. And so it's interesting because we are crippled in really understanding more about Louis, unless Louis is just like morose the entire time. I mean, there's a decent chance, decent chance, but I also kind of feel like maybe not because there's a point where they, he tells the story where he 
is talking about like Lestat says he used to he used to eat rats. He yeah. used to live only on rats. And Claudia says, "Ooh, Louis, just on rats." And then <laughs> and he kind of jokes with her and he says, "And I don't recommend it." Right. Yeah. So I, there's for me there's a glimpse a glimmer of like hope that maybe during those years of the those were the salad days where he and Claudia and Lestat were happy. I wish we could have seen some of that where, where it'd be like a, 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 a madcap montage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're skipping through a, a meadow at night and like you know, the whole something up at the... family slaughtering people. Exactly. Like Lestat will put a mop on his head and pretend it's a wig and they'll all laugh at him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it would be funny if they had, well, and well, I mean, it would be hilarious. It would be hilarious. It would ruin the movie. Ruin but... the movie. But it should have been like maybe a Saturday Night Live sketch where they would show like the the, the salad. It days. wasn't all bad, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like if Brad Pitt was a guest star in SNL, I would definitely make him do that. Right? It wasn't yeah, all bad. Good. Is there anything? So, like, what are we going to take away from this movie that we might want to see or or watch for in the TV series? Is there anything before we go into that, Christina? Can I just go back? Can we go back to the examples that you were looking for of the allegories of exploring the sexual identity, oh, right? Because uh-huh, uh-huh. I think we missed. I don't, or I think we I don't think we touched on something that I, I think is glaringly obvious. Okay. That Lestat, he could have chose anyone in the world to turn to be his companion, but he chose a very attractive man. And mm-hmm. yeah, I understand it was because he had money. I totally can relate Lestat, but he, he was also an attractive man. And I think that speaks volumes. And there's a couple scenes where they feed and you, they, they exchange some glances and it's very sensual and, you could definitely infer some gay or bisexual undertones from that. And I think that if they were able to perform sex acts, that after feeding, that would be the next logical step. Kind of like, do you guys think that feeding is almost like a foreplay for them? I, if they were, I think, were, that's, I think, yeah, I think, I think the that's thing. the sex. Yeah. Okay. I think that the, so that is the I think that the feeding is the sex, right? Like because well, and we get that more from Louis's inner monologue in the book where he says like literally their, I think his words their are heart this start is, beating at the same beat as yeah, yours. Yeah, and, and he's yeah. like this is this was the ultimate thing that there was nothing cuz he talks about how he couldn't perform with Madeline in the book. This happens in the book right. where he says I couldn't right. do what, you know, and she mocks him and mm-hmm. says if you were a real man, I would be able to seduce you. And then she mocks him for not being able to perform. And he's like, I'll show you. And that's actually one of the things that kind of seals the deal for him. Yeah. But but for, for him, that is like, that's the ultimate. There is nothing that surpasses the feeling of feeding. That is the sex act. And I think that you're right. So so maybe if they're co-feeding, they, that's like a very sexual. Yeah. Like let's hold hands while we do it. But do you think maybe in the TV show where we know that there's going to be, they're going to be able to perform sexually. Yeah. So do you think they're going to play it that way? Like the, the feeding is the foreplay. I'm yes. going to assume yes. that that's what they're going to do. And then that's going to ultimately lead to the hot and heavy. Could be just sex. a simple uh, matter of plumbing. That's where the intimacy coordinator will come in. They just need blood for the rods. <laughs> ew, Mark, ew. What did you say, Mark? He said they need blood for the spongy rods. I don't need this anatomy. <laughs> gross. That's, how, that's how it works, kids. Yes, <laughs> I know. Ew, God. Okay, Dad. Joanne, I think that that's, I think that that's a really good point. I think that the act of feeding is the sex in this movie, right? And also... You know, just like the dripping mouths and the exchange of bodily it's fluids. Sensuous. It's very sensuous. And Is there's sensual? there's a lot of sex in this violence, right? We yeah. talked about that. Um, so on my rewatch, when I wasn't having had a brownie, it was it was less jarringly violent. But when I was I'd had a little bit of a a little bit of the brownie. Yes. I was I was little shocked. Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. I was shocked by the um the level of violence in in this my rewatch it it didn't impact me as much. Um but I could see where they made it in the film very sexy. Like the blood all over their teeth and it's like in right. the, you know. Would you agree Christina though that the just the simple act of who Lestat chose is probably one of the most obvious things that this had 100 percent. if you've read the book you know that he thinks louis is is absolutely stunning and at the end of the movie he says louis you've always been so beautiful what we don't realize in this because of course this is told from louis perspective 
you don't realize that Lestat doesn't really need him for the money. Lestat has a good inheritance. He's He's got money. You find that out in the vampire Lestat. And Lestat kind of goes, ha ha, Louis thought he knew what he was talking about, but he right. didn't really know me. And here's the real me. And then you get Lestat's and, uh, you know, autobiography. He just liked the way he looked and that's who he wanted to be with. And that's who, and, and not only is it homosexual, I think, but it is homosocial. I think that there's a lot of the, like, if you're a guy and you have a chance for eternity, you, you're going to, you're you going to have a bro. Up? Do you want to bro up or wanna, boo up? Uh, you want to, yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that there is some of that. I think that there, you know, that strikes me as very much like, you know, I'll be able to get women when, if I want to, if you could perform with a woman, you right. can get all, you can get a woman, but do you, do you want a buddy that you might also want to yeah. fuck? Maybe. Essentially. Yeah. <laughs> well, who among us doesn't? <laughs> no, it's a good, it's a good observation, Joanne. And I think you're spot on with that. And as much as Louis loves Claudia, the one that Claudia knows will tempt Louis away from her is Armand. Of course. Right. It's Antonio Banderas. Are you I, kidding I would, me? I would go with Antonio Banderas. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I definitely would. All right. Oh, yeah. What do we think? Do we think that what are we going to look for from the movie? Is there anything that you want you would like to see or would like to see explored more? Maybe that's it, Joanne, is the sexuality aspect of it, because definitely that is coming. Yeah, I, I would like to see that explored more. Absolutely. But I'm, I really want to go into the TV show with no expectations from the movie or the book because we know so much already that has changed just on the surface. Yeah. As long as the show stands well on its own, I'm okay right. if they change whatever as long as, you know. I'm not a super purist. I think, you know, the characters are going to be there. Uh, they're creating a universe because the Mayfair witches are also coming fairly quickly because I think that that's in production now too, or the Mayfair, the Mayfair witches, and they're going to exist in this same universe. Right. So though I'm sure that there will be crossovers and things like that, if a uh, interview is successful and I see no reason why it shouldn't be because it looks like it's beautifully produced Action and figures. I'm super excited for it. But, um, yeah, I think that, I think that Mark's right. If it stands alone well on its own, it's just like, as long as there's no Tom Cruise, then I'm good. But are, but are you going to be okay with your, because I know you had a problem with the movie because they didn't fit the image you had in your mind. Right. Um, and I'm further removed from it now. That. Yeah, okay. I'm further okay. removed from it now. And actually what I've seen of, what I've seen of Sam Reed, I think he will be more pleasing to me as Lestat than Tom Cruise was. Although I have to admit, as much as I really, really dislike Tom Cruise, on my rewatch, my recent rewatch, I was like, you know, I got to give it to him. He didn't, he didn't do a bad job. It's just, I, I just, Whoa. it's the teeth. You're it's softening teeth. up on Tom Cruise. I hate to admit it, but there, it's the teeth. The teeth are problematic, but he really did. You really see that he did try. He gave it really the right. college try. Now, whether or not he was 100% successful, I don't know. I, I, I would say not probably, but I mean, out of, all, out of all three of those characters, all uh, three of those actors, the three key actors, Kirsten Dunst to me was the runaway. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, she was remarkable, especially because of her age. Right. Um, and then Brad Pitt was really, really quite good. Um, mm -hmm. The only thing that I found, um, and he had to do it. But the only thing that I kind of found a little bit weird was the like whatever voice he was affecting, because that's not his normal voice. Right. Like he's got he's he trying, was trying to, do to be very proper some, and yeah. some fake ass accent. It was some kind of accent. And yeah. that was a little bit like I'm like, come on, Brad. That's a fantasy movie accent is what it is. Yeah. You, it's very stilted mm -hmm. and, you know, overly proper kind mm -hmm. of and yeah. elevated somewhat. It's like, oh, yes. Well, you shall don't listen to that brad you did great oh but he did. did he did great he did i mean i'm not criticizing brad pitt and also this is this is legends of the fall brad pitt right like this is oh, that same that's my point. favorite brad pitt yes yes <laughs> tristan Seven. Oh my God. Um, okay, you eyes. Okay, you guys. You eyes. You eyes. Okay, you guys. She's just staring into my eyes and I, can't help no, it. No, no. I'm being, I'm being, he's possessing me with his eyes. Intimacy coordinator, I must insist you both stop staring into each other's eyes immediately. All right, so let's talk about what's coming next. Next week, we are going to have an episode about TV shows uh, about vampires. Now, I am, I am not 
as big of a vampire television show person as Mark and Joanne. So it's really going to be me interrogating Mark and Joanne about two popular television series, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is Mark's favorite, and Joanne's is the Vampire Diaries. And so we're going to be talking about those two shows. We're going to be talking about any allegories that we see in those programs. And so that's exciting. We're going to talk about the lore a little bit. How, how do how do vampires become vampires and how where where all of this fits in with the overarching um sort of Anne Rice you know is it derivative all of that stuff so that's what's coming next and then i think also i would like to do a big picture of vampire in the movies because there are some that we really should talk about like vampiros lesbos Right. You definitely want to Are talk you about that. Watch Vampiros Lesbos. I am, and guess what? It's in German. <laughs> yeah, you betcha. That's why it totally is in German. German. I don't know, but it's in German. Is there subtitles? Yes, yes. Porn? You can have you can have subtitles, but I mean, it's 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 vampire sex movie in i mean we we've got to look at these because they actually there's i've done some more research on them and it's pretty interesting so there's loads there's a history of vampires in movies and and i'd love to talk about that do we get and, to talk about blackula because i want to watch 100 percent right. you know we can right. maybe you maybe that's your assignment you can watch blackula and then mark can watch bram stoker's dracula Oh, I got I thought I got to watch. Vampiros watch Lesbos. Well, we'll all watch Vampiros Lesbos, everyone. Can that we do it on like a Zoom call together? We should. We should. That'd be funny. And then it's super uncomfortable. Oh, it, was... it definitely will be. There's no doubt about that. Um, like, I need to take a break for a minute, guys. I'll be right back. Yeah, okay. <laughs> not that kind of. Thing. And I'll be like, and I literally mean, I just need a one minute break. I'll be oh, right back. Mark, wow. damn. That's up. <laughs> all right, you guys. Well, um, we'll wrap it up here and joanne do you want to take us out guys thank you again for listening to another episode of vampire insider if you enjoyed it and you want to give us a follow on twitter you can find us at vampire underscore insider or you can check out our personal twitters which never disappoint christina is at christina jenna with a k mark is at mark eats peach and that's mark with a c and i am at just block me underscore one you look at my Twitter, you'll understand why. Have a great night, guys. Thank you very much. Okay, bye. Invite us in. Bye. Oh, God. You're so good. That's your one. <laughs> I am Dracula. Fish are friends, not food. <laughs> okay, okay. God, <laughs> I knew it was coming because he looked both ways. Joanne, whenever he's going to tell a joke. Pause while you were saying that? <laughs> yes, he took a breath and then he looked both ways and I knew here comes a joke. I can't tell if it's coming from the right or the left, but there's one coming. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>